0: Art of Nation. this is dr carol i'm just here wanted to give you guys some helpful tips and things to remember as we move and navigate through this unprecedented uh health pandemic the first thing you guys want to remember is please wash your hands thoroughly and frequently wash your hands for at least 20 seconds under warm water with soap if you do not have access to a sink with warm water and soap please use hand sanitizer Um, that contains at least 60% alcohol. The next thing you want to do is please avoid large crowds and social gatherings. As young people, our immune systems are typically healthier and so we can be asymptomatic, which basically means that we can carry uh, the virus if we come in contact with it and our immune system will recover. But we also pose the risk of spreading it to those who are immunocompromised or who have chronic health conditions and our older people. So please avoid large large crowds if you can. The next thing I would say is use respiratory hygiene. If you have to sneeze, if you have to cough, please cover your mouth in your sleeve, not with your hands. Please avoid touching your hands and face after you've done this as well. And please, again, wash your hands. And lastly, if you feel sick, if you have any of these symptoms, which is high fever, uh, initially a dry cough or fatigue, please seek medical help early. If you've been exposed to someone who might have had had the virus or been in contact, please stay at home to avoid spreading the virus to anyone else. Again, this is something serious, so we don't want to take it lightly. But those are just some helpful tips and reminders uh, for you guys as we navigate through this pandemic. I hope you guys have a great day and uh, stay safe.
1: This episode of The Startup Life is powered by Colony Spark. Startup Nation, with our economy in flux, there is a lot of mixed messaging out there. If there was ever a time to take control of the narrative and let your customers know that you are here to serve them, it's now. And that's why you have a friend in Colony Spark. Colony Spark is an omni channel marketing agency that believes in the power of community to ignite your business. They have helped companies across many industries with lead generation, revenue growth, and more to put them on the path to success. My guy Bill Murphy and his team are very good at what they do. How do I know this? Because not many SEO companies have the stamp of approval of being partnered with Google. Yes, that Google. So I want you to go to www com forward slash startup to schedule a meeting today in that meeting you will review your current marketing activity receive actionable advice on how to pivot and grow and ask any marketing questions you may have on navigating over the next few months look startup nation i know things may seem uncertain right now but if you are looking for a business partner that can help light the way go with colony spark where they firmly believe in business helping business The startup life is powered by Ladder. Startup Nation, as an entrepreneur, you are the engine that powers your business. We have had many entrepreneurs on the show, from those that play Division II basketball, quite a few Ironman participants, and even an NFL quarterback. And the one thing they all have in common is that they know getting early morning workout wins leads to business success for the day. However, it's super important what fuel you use for your workout to get that early morning success. And that's where Ladder comes in. Ladder is a sports nutrition company founded by LeBron James and Otto Schwarzenegger. Unlike other supplements, every batch is tested by a third party that is trusted by all major professional sports organizations, including the NBA, NFL, MLB, and more to verify the highest standards for quality, but more importantly, safety. Ladder's goal is to help you unlock your best in any situation. Right now, That means access to special offers and expert advice from their community. Personally, I like superfood greens. Not only does it include the most essential nutrients that are hard to get in your diet, like magnesium, zinc, B vitamins and vitamin D, they also included the rodelio root, which helps keep you healthier when stress is high, but also it helps support immunity, according to many studies. Use code BETTEREVERYDAY for 30% off everything site-wide at ladder.sport. That's Better Every Day for 30% off at ladder.sport. So maybe you're not trying to be a four-time league MVP or a 7-time Mr. Olympia, but you still need the tools to elevate your health that elevates your business. So go with ladder and prepare to get better every day. It's time to be about that life. The startup life. Here's your host, Dominic Lawson. All right, Startup Nation, so I hope you're ready to receive some value today. My name is Dominic Lawson and this is The Startup Life, the show for entrepreneurs and career Minded Professionals. And you know, Startup Nation, everything going on around us, you know, there's a lot of uh, panic and a lot of chaos around us. But sometimes there may be opportunities within uh, the chaos, which is why we have a fantastic guest for you today. For sure. He is a New York Times bestselling author and one of the world's top innovation keynote speakers and management consultants. He's also the CEO of Trend Hunter, the world's number one largest, most popular trend spotting firm with more than two billion views and three million fans. Also cooler than his fellow Toronto native hip hop star, Drake. And we're going to talk about that a little bit, but he's also uh, the the author of Create the Future Tactics for Disruptive Thinking. He is my man jeremy gucce j dot what's going on man oh everything's uh you know wild and crazy these days
2: but um there's still a lot that an entrepreneur can learn from in these times so uh, from that standpoint there's some excitement as well
1: absolutely absolutely so without that being said clearly you're ready to pour some knowledge into the startup nation so i'm really to kind of dive in so before we do that man just kind of share your origin story a little bit but also kind of share with us uh your you know your perspective on our new normal as we navigate this crazy thing we call planet Earth. Yeah, you know, well, right now, um, the the whole
2: world is in a, an interesting state of flux, though it's important to separate uh, the period we're in uh, crisis from the chaos that will ensue right after. So crisis, crisis isn't good for anyone unless you're a mask maker, peddler, fan sanitizer, or a gun dealer. But uh, after this time period, we enter a period of chaos, and chaos creates entrepreneurs. It creates opportunity. You know when you think about the, the startup nation and and what your your know your tribe is is motivated by it's it's recognizing the opportunity and actually that's what periods of chaos do. So if you look back into historic times, I'll give you a list of companies started during time periods of global economic recession. And That list is way longer than what I'll say now, but it includes Disney, CNN, Apple, Patagonia, GE, Fortune Magazine, Burger, FedEx, Microsoft, and, uh, MTV, IBM. Uh, HP, Merck, Pinterest, Uber, Airbnb, Slack—it goes on and on and on and on. Right. And the reason is that in these kind of chaos, the deck gets reshuffled, the leader changes, the rules of the game uh, you know get altered. And if you're nimble and you're quick as a startup entrepreneur might be, then then you can capture the new consumer needs and you can thrive.
1: Absolutely, I love all of that, and I hope you took you know uh, note of all of that, Startup Nation. You definitely can thrive. Uh, when it comes to times like these and stuff like that. So I appreciate you sharing that. So before we dive into the book, man, when I was reading the book, you, you kind of shared with us a little uh, funny tidbit you know, about you and Drake and how you're a little bit cooler than him. Kind of explain that a little bit, Jay. What? Me? No, I'm not cooler than Drake. What do you <laughs> yeah, mean? Yeah, you are, man. <laughs> uh,
2: I think my mission is a little bit different. It's trying to empower entrepreneurs and, sure. and recognizing that times like this are, are actually when an entrepreneur can shine. You know, it's not always easy to to lead and to pick yourself up from the dust in the tiny period of crisis and, and think about it. But when we get into chaos, uh, it is a really cool opportunity. Um, you know, there's a, 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 an interesting story I'll give you that I always think is a neat motivator. It's sure. that Fortune magazine was started just four months after the 1929 Wall Street crash. It was started during the Great Depression, and it was priced at a dollar an issue, which at the time was the same price as a world magazine more than any magazine had ever cost in, in history. Yet, despite that, they ended up during the Great Depression as a luxury business publication with half a million subscribers and $7 million of modern-day profit. It doesn't seem possible, but what happened is that in these times, the rules changed, and Fortune offered a glimpse behind the boardroom doors that might explain how America ended up in the situation it was in and when might we emerge. So, put differently, Fortune simply offered a new uh, answer to a new consumer need. So, uh, that's the cool thing. I think the cool thing is that in these time periods where everything gets shaken up, uh, that that there are opportunities to, to figure out how to actually evolve.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for sharing all of that. Dive into the book. You talk about, you know, finding those opportunities, but you also talk about how, uh, sometimes the market leader can get kind of, dis, you know, uh, complacent and they kind of dismiss the little guy. Uh, we had a, a guest on the show a few weeks back where he talked about in the uh, the the shaving game. Uh, you had, you know, Gillette going after uh, Bic or Schick or whatever it was and stuff like that, when you really should have been paying att- attention to the Dollar Shave Club. So when we're when we look at the market leaders and stuff like that, how come they just kind of say, you know what? Uh, th- that's cute and all, but like they'll never go anywhere. W- what's up with the market leader when it comes to that? Yeah, I mean, the
2: thing is success leads to complacency. And yeah. on a simple level, if you're the market leader, then you try and preserve and protect what you have. But when I uh, sort of explain it as a metaphor, what well, we study a trend on uh, We were done an assessment. We studied tens of thousands of business leaders and entrepreneurs. And we'd like to portrayed in a simple little notion of the hunter versus the farmer. So a million years ago, you and I were all hunters in an eat or be eaten world. And that means that we're still able to channel that hunter instinct to adapt and find what's new, especially when everything's uh, changed and maybe in a kind of chaos. But, but as an entrepreneur, you can hunt what's new. The problem is that 10,000 years ago, people became farmers. And once we learned how to farm anywhere that happened populations thrived we could plan for winter we could preserve and and, you know predict but what that also meant is that we became farmers and after 10,000 years of evolution as farmers we are pre-wired to repeat and optimize whatever led to last year's harvest so you need a little bit of hunting and farming to succeed in business but what happens with the big companies the big dogs the big successful incumbents they overly start relying on farming. They put in rules, policies, procedures, brand standards, and all these things to protect the status quo. And when the status quo changes, like in a time period of chaos, the large companies can't adapt. Or when a new uh, innovative uh, invention comes about, the big incumbent doesn't know how to see the potential in that idea. Because it's too caught in preserving and protecting what it what it had before, and and in short, what I like to think about is that we get caught on the path that we're on, whether you're an entrepreneur or a big company, and we try to protect our path, and it just starts to become more inhibiting for a large organization.
1: Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, quick follow up to that, but let's say I work. I'm, I'm not the entrepreneur. I'm not the CEO of the large organization. But let's say I have an idea that I want to present to. Uh, you know, the CEO or my manager or my supervisor, direct supervisor, whatever the case may be. How would I go along doing that? Because we have a lot of people who are kind of entrepreneurs in their jobs and they're they're trying to figure out ways to kind of be disruptive within the confines of a traditional nine to five. How would I go about doing that in your regard?
2: Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I, I talk about in the book is I look at a lot of the tactics and how to think about innovation and, and, and how to present your ideas. And there's an interesting notion, which is that Ninety-seven um, percent of CEOs, according to PwC, ninety-seven percent list innovation as one of their core pillars, and they want more innovation to happen. And the problem, though, is that it it, it has a disconnect, and in that innovation isn't taught in schools. It's not a normal profession. There aren't really the tactics and tools out there. And so, there's actually a huge hunger at the very, very top. There's a no hunger to show those innovative ideas. But what happens is that because people also try and preserve and protect what's working out well, what often happens is that that hungry entrepreneur in the company presents their idea too wildly or in a way that doesn't really sort of show enough of the purpose and what we're trying to do and then you reflect what's happening. So on one hand, yes, there's a hunger. But on the second hand, it's easy for people who have great ideas to have those ideas dismissed and for them not to happen. So if you're one of those people and I'm one of those people and you have the idea and you're hungry and you're excited about it, try to think about all the ways that you could use this time period sort of frame your idea in a way that's digestible, and that can mean, you know, uh, thinking about how you're showing the research or how this new idea helps adapt to where the world is currently headed and how the world has actually changed. It can mean trying to volunteer your time to think about how you could do this on on almost like the company's gambling fund or, or sort of, you know, work around the situation you're in. Or it means actually trying to create that sense of urgency and be the one that's waving the flag of how the company could lose everything if we don't try some of these new ideas. And so strategically, you're framing it so that I really want to try your idea
1: instead of just uh, letting your idea sit in your desk. Now, Startup Nation, in the book, Create the Future, you know, Jeremy has tons of great stories like that. He has the one Uh, about a certain uh, guy who turns uh, war equipment into farming equipment. And and that story there, there's also the story of Xerox that I love uh, as well. But there's also the story of Tony at a newspaper. Kind of share that story with us at Startup Nation, if you would, Jay.
2: Oh, well, that's funny. I literally was just talking to Tony Hunter just now. And (laughs) I've turned into a friend uh, over time. But here's the guy's story. I find it to be remarkable. So Tony Hunter... Uh, is a name you should remember, and it's because I think of him as one of the most iconic CEOs uh, in, in American history, but you know what? He wasn't originally. When I met him, he was publisher of the Chicago Tribune, and he was going through the difficult reinvention of how to make them a digital organization, and and my early story is that I, I founded a company uh, called Trend Hunter, which is now a research platform, and I was getting billions of views when Many of the newspapers were still figuring out what to do. So what an early role was was helping these organizations become digital. And I learned a lot from them, and I helped them through some of that progress. But, but that was not how I met Tony. And one day, after this transformation had happened, one day, Tony got a phone call, and they said, hey, we want you to become CEO. You've been with us for 26 years. You want We want you to be CEO. But it seemed too early for him to be invited to be CEO. CEO. He didn't seem like he thought he was senior enough to be CEO, so there had to be a catch. And the catch was they wanted him to, A, become CEO, B, lay off 20% of the workforce, many of the friends he'd worked with for his life, his career life, and then C, they wanted him to declare bankruptcy. So in other words, they kind of wanted him to be the fall guy and they're not, not sure, turn the paper around and see if you can figure it out. But it kind of sounded like the other part is just they're picking him as a fall guy, and he's going to do the dirty work. And, you know, it, it didn't seem like what you'd want to say yes to, but put yourself in his shoes. This paper matters. That's a huge opportunity, and it's a difficult thing, and maybe he can save it, and if he doesn't, what does the other person do? So he took it on, and then he went through all the different efforts of trying to figure out how do you actually turn around a colossal organization? And he realized that it's almost all about culture, and, and thinking of the tactics to help people make change happen. And that's what I was privileged to work with them on, thinking about all the ways to get people to see the importance of urgency, to try new things, to use a different language in, in terms of focusing on the consumer and simplifying the plan of what they needed to do. And, and we went through a lot of workshops where we tried to force the discussion of competing alternatives, do the opposite of what people expected. and. A lot of my methodology, a lot of what I put in Create the Future, would be about the patterns that happen in, in time periods of chaos. And one, one of the six most powerful patterns is divergence, and it's to do the opposite of what everyone else is doing. So in that time period, he saw everybody reducing the size of their newspaper, making the newspaper smaller, making the newspaper smaller. But you do the opposite, and what did he do? He made the Chicago Tribune way thicker. And what that meant is if you were a Chicago Wolves fan or, you know, uh, any of the Chicago sort of, like, um, passionate people, suddenly that was the only paper that had the debts that you needed, and so then they absolutely turned around. They also, there's another pattern on reduction, where you forget about everything, and you just think about where does the money come from, and what what are the people paying you think about? And interestingly, the money for a local newspaper doesn't come from the subscribers, and it doesn't come from the big national investors. It comes from all the local advertisers. And they look, you know, look at the local ads in your local newspaper. And they're, you know, they're kind of terrible because they're a little organization. They don't have a marketing team or an ad agency. And, you know, they're doing their best, but they're also where the money comes from for the newspaper. So the reinvention, the thing that was the key for Tony. you zero in that, you use this power of a pattern of reduction, and you start to reduce what they need. Well, they need their little businesses to grow. So they turned the Tribune from just being where those little businesses put their ads to being a services company like an ad agency that would give those little news, those little local companies consulting on how to actually market their business holistically. And what happened was those two actions caused the Tribune to go from bankruptcy to the number one most profitable news organization in, in America in, in that particular year. So I learned a lot from that guy. It was a really fun journey. We had dozens of workshops and, and probably 100 research supports with his team. But what I really thought was interesting was watching someone uh, go through the personal challenges Absolutely. of taking on this cool, exciting promotion, but then having to lay people off and then being forced to struggle and figure out how to turn it around. And he did it. And I just, I was always really inspired by his story. And I thought it was an interesting example of how the chaos and, and, and crisis in and this chaos actually create opportunity. And, and in the end, they really can bring up the best in you. But, but, they, but they also force you to sort of study that chaos and then look for the ways that you can reinvent out of it.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for sharing all of that. I'm always fascinated by stories like that, like people, uh, like in Tony's case, maybe who weren't like groomed and molded to be CEOs, but they kind of get thrust upon with this power and they just thrive and just take organizations to heights they never really – uh, kind of thought they would. So I appreciate all of that for sure. Uh, once again, we're talking to Jeremy Gucci, the author of Create the Future. Uh, uh, there's a beautiful forward by Malcolm Gladwell in that book. And there's an interesting story in there as well. When you purchase the book, uh, you can purchase that book at anywhere where you purchase your books. Uh, and we have a link in the show notes. If you look read, uh, listening on the podcast, uh, Startup Nation to purchase that book as well. And Jeremy, you talk in this book about the seven traps of path dependency. You you talk about neurological shortcuts and optionality, but the one that I always see uh quite often is that linear thinking, right? You know, where, you know, you know, square, square, you know, uh, square object, square hole, this, that, and the other. Why is that, you know, kind of limits the entrepreneur, limits the 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 entrepreneur as well. What what is it about linear thinking that just kind of shoots us in the foot a lot?
2: Well, I'm, I, you know, I, it's a really unfortunate trap of our human mind, you know, which is that we sort of extrapolate the status quo in predicting what's next. And, and what it leads to is that you and I are both actually really good at predicting next year. Everyone kind of, you know, short of a dramatic global pandemic, you're pretty good at right. knowing how your business year is going to evolve in the next 12 months. Mm-hmm. Now, interestingly, you're also pretty good if I was to ask you, where do you think your industry will be 15 years from now? Just just give me the dream list. Give me the sci-fi movie of what, what we would call the super future. But where humans become terrible is in sort of the three- to five-year range. We become horribly inaccurate in the three- to five-year range because we fail to recognize uh, the compounding effects of our accelerating world. And what that means is people miss out on opportunity People get disrupted. People underestimate the potential of new technologies to change their world. And yet, we overestimate how much we think we'll be able to do, how much we think we'll be able to handle. And so we we classically miss out. And I could give you hundreds of stories because I study this, and then I usually go a step further, and I interview uh all of the people. So I've interviewed the guy at Kodak that invented the digital camera in seventy six and of right. course they got disrupted. I've interviewed the team at Blockbuster Video that pioneered online video streaming and then refused to buy Netflix in three chances for fifty right. million. But the one I'll tell you that I think is really fun is Smith Corona. And Smith Corona is an iconic American inventor and innovator. They invented the grammar checker, the spell checker, the laptop word processor, saving your word files to a disk. And they were the monopolists. They were really good. They were in charge and in command of of the typewriter industry. And in 1991, they actually had computers on shelves, and they had a joint venture partnership, and they were selling computers. And they got that computers were going to work. They could see long-term, yeah, computers are going to work. But then the 1991 global economic recession started really kicking in, and they realized, you know what, the computer thing is going to happen later on. So, but we got years for that. Right now what we've got to do is we have to focus on our current market. So everyone in the computer team, come over here. We'll abandon the partner. It's fine. And come help us on typewriters for a bit. And then we'll return to this in a couple of years. Three years later, Smith Corona declares bankruptcy. And their joint venture partner, whom they abandoned, Acer, goes on to become the second-largest PC maker in the world without any smith Corona's help. And there's a lot of other stories like that. But what the interesting note in it is, is there they are. They have all the information in the world about typing and word processing. And they're an inventor of computing. And and they're one of a hundred similar types of companies who then gets totally disrupted because they forecast that the thing would take longer. So there are a lot of tactics you can do, but I think a simple notion, just a really, really simple thing, is to recognize that we're absolutely terrible at predicting three to five years out. So forecast your super future, what you think is 10 years
1: out, and it's probably three to five years. It's probably closer than you. For sure. You also talk about, you know, uh, in your book, when you do like, you know, uh, a uh, professional development with the groups and stuff like that. This activity called Dystopia versus Utopia. Kind of share with us a little bit about that, if you would, Jeremy.
2: Yeah. So I have done uh, I have more than a thousand workshops, maybe seven hundred and twenty uh, keynotes wow. now for for several hundred organizations, mm-hmm. and I, I learned a lot from each one. But i battle tested a lot of workshops, which I, I sort of wrote up and create the future that you can do for yourself. Right. And a favorite one, if you've ever found yourself. In a situation where you're trying to break free from your thinking or really prioritize what's going to change your industry, or if you're trying to get buy in from your managers and your team, a really fun exercise that's actually quite powerful is uh, one I call dystopia versus utopia. And the way it works is that you get, you know, you sit down in a group of people or you got like 100 people in a room, all on tables of five, however you want to do it. And uh, you could try yourself too, but it's funner in a group you imagine out oh, what do you think would lead to a dystopic future for your organization. And by that, I mean, imagine five years out, your world's falling apart and, and things aren't working. But the catch is the rule is don't think about things out of your control. No, nothing about a pandemic, no crazy election stuff, no aliens. No. Just more simply, what do you think would cause your organization to be irrelevant five years from now? Is it not attracting the next generation of talent? Is it not adapting to your consumer? Not testing enough? Not keeping up with your competitor? But come up with a list of what you actually think would be the five things that lead to dystopia. Then do the opposite. What five things would lead to utopia? If you have a big group, split the group. Have one work on utopia, one work on dystopia. But when you come back together and share, what you'll start to notice is it's... uh, Uh, often very similar things. Hey, we either solve the attracting of young talent or we don't solve it. And that exercise really reduces you down to the most important areas that you need to think about and focus for for innovation. The other take, the second takeaway, is that uh, it creates a different sense of urgency and alignment because then everyone realizes, I know I have 10 things I want and you have 10 things I you want, but if you start thinking about what destroys us or enables us, wow, there's really only three things we really got to figure out. And the third thing it does is it creates a sense of urgency because you start to realize, wow, our dystopic world happens if we do nothing. Dystopia, it just happens if we don't move. And utopia, it actually requires a bit of work. So that's one of my favorite exercises, dystopia versus utopia. And again, quite simply, it's with you or your team or your whole office trying to think about what are the five factors that lead you to a wonderful world where everything has worked out well versus what happens
1: in a world where things do not work out for you. Sharing that. And Startup Nation, the reason I wanted to ask that question is, is to highlight that this book is one of those working books where it has like on page 55, it has the graphic for you to actually do that activity, activity, dystopia versus utopia. And I love books like that because it forces you to think right there uh, on the spot. And it's a working book and it's a book that you can uh, constantly read over and over again as you progress on your path to entrepreneurship, as you progress forth. In your career as well. I also love the fact that not only do you get create the future, but you flip the book over and you get uh, uh, Jeremy's award-winning book, the uh, Innovation—I mean, the Innovation Handbook—or Exploiting Chaos, uh, more accurately as well. So it's a great book. You should definitely uh, pick it up, Startup Nation, for sure. All right, Startup Nation. So we're gonna go ahead and take a quick break. We gotta pay some bills once again. My name is Dominic Lawson, and you're listening to the Startup Life. The startup life is powered by ladder. Startup Nation, as an entrepreneur, you are the engine that powers your business. We have had many entrepreneurs on the show from those that played Division II basketball, quite a few Ironman participants, and even an NFL quarterback. And the one thing they all have in common is that they know getting early morning workout wins leads to business success for the day. However, it's super important what fuel you use for your workout to get that early morning success. And that's where Ladder comes in. Ladder is a sports nutrition company founded by LeBron James and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Unlike other supplements, every batch is tested by a third party that is trusted by all major professional sports organizations, including the NBA, NFL, MLB, and more to verify the highest standards for quality, but more importantly, safety. Ladder's goal is to help you unlock your best in any situation. Right now... That means access to special offers and expert advice from their community. Personally, I like superfood greens. Not only does it include the most essential nutrients that are hard to get in your diet, like magnesium, zinc, B vitamins and vitamin D, they also included the rodelial route, which helps keep you healthier when stress is high, but also it helps support immunity according to many studies. Use code BETTEREVERYDAY for 30% off everything site-wide at ladder.sport. That's Better Every Day for 30% off at ladder.sport. So maybe you're not trying to be a four-time league MVP or a seven-time Mr. Olympia, but you still need the tools to elevate your health that elevates your business. So go with Ladder and prepare to get better every day. This episode of the Startup Life is powered by Colony Spark. Startup Nation, with our economy in flux, there is a lot of mixed messaging out there. If there was ever a time to take control of the narrative and let your customers know that you're here to serve them, it's now. And that's why you have a friend in Colony Spark. Colony Spark is an omnichannel marketing agency that believes in the power of community to ignite your business. They have helped companies across many industries with lead generation, revenue growth, and more to put them on the path to success. My guy Bill Murphy and his team are very good at what they do. How do I know this? Because not many SEO companies have the stamp of approval of being partnered with Google. Yes, that Google. So I want you to go to www.colonyspark.com forward slash startup to schedule a meeting today. In that meeting, you will review your current marketing activity, receive actionable advice on how to pivot and grow and ask any marketing questions you may have on navigating over the next few months. Look, Startup Nation, I know things may seem uncertain right now, but if you are looking for a business partner that can help light the way, go with Colony Spark, where they firmly believe in business helping business. Startup Nation, we tell you all the time that no one does anything great on their own. That includes starting a business or a nonprofit or even becoming a thought leader or an influencer. My point is that you need a team to do it successfully and responsibly. And that is why you should contact DR and Associates. Danielle and her team provide branding solutions along with digital and social media marketing that provide tangible results you are looking for. No matter if you are a Fortune 500 company or an author looking to make an impact, DR and Associates needs to be part of your team. They are one of the few firms whose leadership has been recognized by Google, which is proof of concept that they are very good at what they do. Contact DR and Associates today to grow your online presence. The number is 615-933-3681, or you can visit their website at drandassociates.com. Also, make sure you follow their Facebook page as well. Dr. and Associates, providing real clients with real results. All right, Startup Nation, welcome back. As we continue our conversation with today's guest here on the Startup Life, Jay, I want to ask you this, man, because you know, uh, as you know, an expert in what you do, you're always looking at trends and things that are going on. For me, I, I'm thinking that stuff like education and healthcare is just prime for. Uh, a positive disruption. What are some of the industries that you are seeing that like is just due for disruption in your opinion?
2: Wow. What a great big giant question. Well, you know, (laughs) there's a lot of industries. um, I almost think you can walk through your daily life and, and a question to ask is, you know, what are the things that frustrate you? And I think a little industry you look at that's enormous. If we want to start from the top down would be almost everything related to how you approach your banking and your investments and your mortgage. I mean, what a, what a and I come from i I ran a uh, grew a billion dollar business for a bank so well, right. I, I gravitate to that one pretty quickly of but I also just think what a weird world we talk about how people don't understand um, uh, you know the accelerating world linear versus accelerating thinking well your your bank does they get compounding they know how that works with credit card interest and yet in school we're not really taught that we're taught weird math and trigonometry that you never use and, and, and suddenly you know you boil it down to how people just fundamentally you know kind of get messed over with their personal credit. It's not easy to understand. And why do I need a different account for my mortgage and my bank and, and my you know why, my credit card? Why does that all have to come from different pockets to kind of mess me up? And why is it confusing? And why do some people get much better access than others? So I think that would be a starting point of an industry that is absolutely ripe for disruption and, and I'm picking the largest, uh, you know, industry I can to start with. And it's different than other industries like hotels and Airbnb and, uh, cars and, sorry, taxis and Uber where we've already seen some of this happen. Media, you've seen what's already happening with, you know, first blogs and now social media. But I would, I would pick banking as my number one one for you where there's different
1: people doing things, but nothing's really changed the world yet. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing all of that for sure. So Jeremy, if you would, man, just kind of talk about your company, your website, TrendHunter, and, and how it fosters creativity and innovation and how uh, people can check it out. Sure. So
2: today, trend Hunter is the world's largest database of cutting-edge ideas, the largest trend site. We've got about half a million articles, and uh, it's pretty fun. It's inspiring in any category. And the, the story, though, is kind of, Interesting to know, which sure. is that I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted my startup. I wanted to be part of that startup nation as well. Absolutely. But I could never really figure out what it is. And I think so many of us are entrepreneurs at heart for so long, just desperately looking for what's that inspiring idea. And so in 2005, which was before YouTube, before Facebook, I started coding up Time Hunter as a crowdsourced platform for people from around the world to share business ideas and they could be in fashion, design, tech, pop culture. But truthfully, I thought some trend hunter somewhere, maybe a trend hunter in Europe or a trend hunter in South America would submit a little idea that would inspire my own. And what I didn't expect is that there's so many of us uh, looking for inspiration. Probably, you know, every entrepreneur listening to startup, that's part of the startup nation as well. And And so, uh, a lot of us started banding together, and traffic went from thousands to millions to billions of views. Now, the interesting part is, as I've noted, I ran analytics and a business line for a bank. So, I built it in a very nerdy way, like a giant focus group to study what people were interested in. And um, uh, that was, you know, again, for me to find my business idea. But eventually, the idea for the site to pay those bills was to turn it on its head and use all that information and insight to be much more predictive about trends and what's next. So it's sort of as a market research tool. So trendhunter is still an awesome tool for entrepreneurs to find all of your inspiration, um, and, and most of the tools are all free. But on the back end, the bills get paid because the big dogs, uh, so several hundred brands like Disney, CNN, uh, Netflix, Uh, I don't know Just say, pick pick a major brand, Coke, Pepsi, Samsung. We would work with them on the back end in order to help them do their market research about 20 times faster. cool part, though, for a startup uh, is that we're actually sort of liberating and leveling the playing field by giving you access to the same sort of tools that these uh, world-leading, innovating companies are using. So trendhunter.com is full of inspirational tools that you can use to find your next big idea.
1: And we have that link there in the show notes for Easy Access Startup Nation. If you're listening to the replay uh, on the podcast, quick follow-up, Jeremy, because you talked about a trend hunter in other parts of the world and stuff like that. Talk about that collaboration and why that collaboration piece is so important when it comes to innovating creativity and disrupting and everything else.
2: Well, you know, creativity is distributed evenly throughout the world. Opportunity is not. And um, it's sort of unique. And I, I did just some quick math the other day, and it's kind of fun. I think I ended up putting it in the book. But it was that if you took a look at, at the rise of literacy and the rise of people who can speak English and the rise of Internet connectivity, and you compare it today versus 2,000, just about far ago, you would find that there is a 15 times increase in the number of Internet-connected English-speaking people. That's wild. And, and what it means is that your next competitor, your next customer, your next collaborator, your partner uh, could be from anywhere in the world. So I think about how, uh, like, my favorite trend on trend under is something I call instant entrepreneurship, which is that you could more instantly become an entrepreneur than ever before. You Absolutely. could 3D print and use Kickstarter, all this stuff. But it actually applies everywhere. And if there's 15 times more English-speaking, Internet-connected people and your competitor, or collaborator could be a kid in India, or it could be uh, you know someone in in, in Paris. It, it doesn't matter. And so I think that's one of the most exciting things to think about when you think of the next decade of of entrepreneurship.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. It's funny you mentioned that instant entrepreneurship because when we talked to Mark Randolph a, a few uh, weeks ago, the co-founder of Netflix, he talked about how in his day when it built a Netflix, it took him six months to build the site and the uh, get the e-commerce part set up. But his son who set up a website and a company in a matter of a weekend, he could have done, he could have created Netflix in a matter of weekends. So it's funny you mentioned that. Uh, but you're absolutely right, though. It, it's so easy to kind of dive into the entrepreneurship space uh, in this day and age, given everything that's kind of uh, at our disposal, for sure. You know, Startup Nation. When you, if you were to uh, Google uh, Jeremy Gucci in uh, YouTube, you will have these amazing videos that he creates and giving keynotes and stuff like that. Uh, but one of the things is, you know, there. Uh, I saw two of them when I was doing my research and prep uh, for our conversation. And I was entertained all the way through. I watched two of them, the thirty minutes apiece. Entertained the whole way. Jeremy, kind of talk about your teaching style, your speaking, your speaking style that is, just resonates with so many people.
2: Well, you know, um, I, I one time uh, I thought of here's the thing. I think that you need to combine energy and uh, lesson. And oh, yeah. uh, I once had a CEO call me an intellectual can of Red Bull, which I now sort of <laughs> use as my brand on on the website, but. I, I totally co-signed to that, by the
1: way. Totally co-signed to that. But ahead, <laughs> I'm
2: sorry. Well, I, I, I try to aspire to, to live to that because I, I think that the intellectual part of the intellectual Ken Red Bull is the idea that you need to be provoked and, and get lessons and, and takeaways. And so often I'd watch a keynote speaker and think, that was inspiring, but I don't know what to do when I get back to my desk. Like, where's nice. the takeaway that I actually do? I feel good, but I don't know what what to do. Like, what, what, what do I get from this? And then on the other end, I would see so many speakers or think of so many teachers that are like the 80-year-old university professor where they might be telling you something absolutely brilliant. It's true. But, like, I, I'm just not engaged. And I, I don't know. I'm trying my best. I'm like, what's happening? And if you're at a conference, you're in a room of a thousand people hung over from the fun night before. So I've always tried to push the other way, which is how can I make you laugh? You and, and just use sort of stunning visuals and examples that surprise you and delay you and then, and then just cause you to have memories of a story that you would never forget so that you uh, you, know, you remember that business lesson. So that's what I push on. And uh, yeah, I've got a bunch of keynote videos. If you search for Jeremy Gucci online or you go to trendhunter.com, uh, you can find probably half a dozen of them that are all about half an hour about the super future, getting better at adapting to innovation. Uh, disruption and all all those sort of topics that we've been talking about
1: today. I hear that. You know, with that being said, you have a video about AI. Can I share with us you no, know, your opinion, your perspective on AI and how how we're uh, trending towards using it more and more and its, it's uses in everyday life in your opinion. Where do you think we're heading with AI is what I'm saying? basically asking.
2: Sure. yeah, so I' mean at trend hunter, we advise Google, Microsoft, Samsung, uh, Cisco, all sorts of brands that play in that AI space on the cutting edge of the forefront. Right. So we, we really live that and spend a lot of time in it. And I think that a lot of people shy away from AI when they think about their job and their profession because it sounds like it's something mis- like mystical or too nerdy. Right. And so we, we don't really dive into it. But AI has already been around us for a really long time. So your Google News Feed, your optimized Google Math to get home your social feed on Facebook, uh, your swiping right or left on, on Tinder. All this stuff is, is AI, except we just don't call it AI once we've been doing it for long enough. Then it just becomes whatever you know, it is. So starting point: it, we don't really be intimidated by it. And more simply, think about it as the dramatic acceleration of you know computers to get us to solutions faster. And what I think is interesting is that this acceleration is starting to get better and better in a way where different worlds, uh, different markets are colliding, and we're able to really amplify how quickly we can develop new products and ideas or solve problems. And it's worth a dive in. I tried to, in Create the Future, simplify it a little bit more and give people some constructs to think about how it will change their world when you start thinking about... um, uh, how you interface with your computer, advances in mind reading, which sound weird, but they're already here. Uh, And, 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 you know, you plug all this in together, and I think that the more simple thing it does is just reinforce this idea that our world is going to continue accelerating and how quickly it changes in absolutely every
1: industry. I hear that. I hear that. Thank (laughs) you for sharing all of that. For sure, but well, well, quick follow up, if you will, because you know when we you know a lot of times small business owners are, are are listening about AI and using it and stuff like that, and it's like, oh man, I don't have the war chest of capital to kind of you know infuse AI in my business as an advantage. What are some of those ways a small business owner can use AI in your regard?
2: Yeah, so I mean, it, it certainly depends on the type of industry that you're in, but sure. uh, Trend Hunter, you know, we kind of bit the bullet about two or three years ago. And I, I thought, you know, the one way our company as a market research company might be disrupted would be if someone else used AI to get the solutions more quickly than us. And so I can just assume that's my far distant future, or I could just start investing a little bit of money on the side of our gambling fund to try to see if we could leverage tools up there. And there are all sorts of tools. People like IBM and Amazon they make AI tools available, and depending on your type of company, if you have, you know, data you're collecting, you can actually start to apply those tools to see, here's you know, to play around. And you might personally not be the one that does it, but hire a college summer student. Uh, you know, hire someone junior to noodle around on it and see what happens. And what happened for us was that after two and a half years, there's now, I think, like 36 different parts of our business where AI has become uh, better or faster than our humans, and so it, it's right. starting to up our game, which is pretty cool, because that wasn't the expectation, but it came from trying to disrupt ourselves. And uh, depending on your industry, it might be that. It might just be other people's tools that you're plugging in. It might be just looking at other service providers who have something AI that helps you do something you're doing faster. doesn't mean you have to be the one creating it.
1: Gotcha. I hear that for sure. I, I tell Startup Nation all the time, you know, you can either hire a person or hire an app, an app to kind of do those those extra things that maybe, you, you know, uh, don't have that capability to do and stuff like that. So I appreciate you sharing that for sure. Uh, once again, Startup Nation, we're wrapping up with Jeremy Guce, the author of Create the Future. You no, know, Jeremy, you know, you've had this amazing you know, run, you have the award winning book, you have keynotes and, you know, this amazing company and stuff like that. And you you talk about your dad a little bit, uh, in the book as well. Just kind of share with me, you know, a little bit about what you learned from your dad and how proud he would be, uh, you know, uh, of you today.
2: Yeah. My, my dad was a sort of mildly dramatic, uh, uh, entrepreneur in terms of his ups and downs and, I had written about him in my last book, Better and Faster. And you work on a book, it takes you two and a half years, you hand it in, and you kind of get your editor's feedback all at once. You know, right. two and a half years of work, feedback all at once. It's actually kind of weird when you think about it. You're not getting it week by week. And so I'm, I'm waiting for the call, and I pick up that call, and I get my editor on the phone, and he goes, Yeah, I really like page 86. Mm. A little quiet. Like, Wait, what do you mean? Is that all you like? And he goes, No, like, why do I got to read till page 86 to hear the story of your dad? And then I look at it and I think, Wow, this explains everything about you. Right. And, you know, why didn't, why didn't this come up earlier? You need to fly home and interview your dad and then, uh, you know, rewrite the book, integrating his story into it. So I flew back, I interviewed my dad, I asked him all these questions about how he was a boy entrepreneur, right. and I had a great weekend. And seven days later, unfortunately, seven days later, he had a heart attack and he died. And, you know, that's a terrible moment for any of us um, when your parent dies. But, you know, now it's, it's five years or so ago. And so when I look back at it, I think about uh, how would I want to spend the last weekend with my dad if I knew it was the last weekend. And the answer is that I would love to uh, interview him. And that's what I got to do. So I feel very, very fortunate that I was able to do that. And, uh, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I learned some crazy stories. So the simple one that frames up a lot of, you know, um, what I became with Trent Hunter right. is that when he was a little kid, he was born to a poor immigrant family. And they didn't have much, but they always ate well because his mom was a cook. So one day he is was uh, uh, in the grocery store with her. And the, you know, have a vet for and he's walking up and down the aisles. He's eight years old, and he sees that The craft Philadelphia off here. Cream cheese. Mmm, looks so good. And so when his mom's not looking, he unravels it and smushes it into his face. She sees him. She's mortified. She doesn't know what to do. Her son's stealing the cheese in the store. Oh, my God. She grabs him by the neck, marches him over to the storekeeper, and she probably doesn't really know what she's going to say. This is my old mom. My, my dad's mom. doesn't know what she's going to say. And then she just goes, uh... I caught this kid stealing. Said, Isn't that your kid? Beside the point. And they sentenced him to a month of sweeping the floors in after school. Right. And so he'd finish school, sweep the floors, and it was all, you know, fine and dandy. But by the end of the week, he started noticing this weird thing, which is that at the end of the week, they'd throw away groceries that don't look good enough to sell but are still good enough to eat. And and grocery stores still do this today, but he saw that as an eight-year-old poor kid from a poor neighborhood, and that's weird. So he struck up his first business deal and agreed to uh, keep Sweetfield's forage forever in exchange for the leftover food that he would cart around to his neighbors to sell at deep discounted prices. And pretty soon he was the first kid on the block with a leather jacket and a BB gun. Nice. And he made his natural expansion, and pretty soon he was selling all sorts of some new things for New York. Now, that's one example of the guy has got a much longer story of up and down. But, uh, when I looked at that,
1: so Oralex powers this you know, him, it's episode it's of the Startup Life. Startup Nation, as a podcaster, and radio host, and, and business owner, I know a thing or two about the need for your message to come through clearly to your target audience. And the last you thing you want to when trying to, try to close a big deal over the phone or giving a sales presentation in your, why your why sales in your conference room indeed, is to have the person you are talking to be distracted by either the fact that you sound like you're in a warehouse or an outside noise like a fire truck. I know this all too well from experience. And that is why X has your back. Oralex Acoustics creates professionally Some tested products that. that you can trust It'll in a, a commercial space bad. or at home. Ask better office man, acoustics your, uh, improves uh, intelligibility when video conferencing or generic conversation reduces uh, stress and helps
0: create a uh, atmosphere. From a home studio for my content creators to your office space downtown, your gear performs better in an acoustically treated room. Trust
1: me, you are in good hands with X as they are the number one brand in acoustics. And providing trusted solutions drive for over 40 years. On my team next also, you can I don't download the OralX Acoustic Treatment mobile app in the learn, Apple or Google or Play Store to give you specific design their and instantaneous uh, recommendations for various uh, reasons. Go but to oralex.com or an and I use the I promo code STARTUP in all caps for 10% uh, off your entire the order. Person, the link so is there in the so show notes if you are listening life. to the replay it's on the podcast. So if you are ready to stop uh, sounding uh, like you're uh, having a sales uh, meeting uh, in the and sports arena, go with Oral professional audio made simple. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Lina Creamer. Many of us love to power our morning with a good cup of coffee. However, sometimes we feel guilty because we will have to pay for that cup. let's be honest, automation that second cup on the treadmill later, especially when we add creamer. And that's where Lina Creamer when
2: you're looking the for gluten free, idea sugar or your
1: free, lactose free, Couple but also things to keep in mind. Is that a free option for your coffee. It path, uses a combination of, of coconut oil and natural supplements and to so jumpstart uh, your entrepreneurial journey for the day. The Not a coffee drink, no problem. There's problem. There's Use it, it as a sugar substitute in your tea, oatmeal, you or whatever else you like to see. Go to leanercreamer.com. Start up 15 at checkout. If you're listening to the podcast, the link is there in the show notes. Lena Creamer. Begin a healthy new chapter
2: the way you like to interact with people, the sort of role that would have you feel passionate and excited. Because I think my own search, my relentless search for an idea, was originally misguided because I spent too much time trying to think about what would be a good business model, where is there a business need that I could fulfill, as opposed to realizing, actually, I'm not going to dedicate a year or two to this. I'm going to dedicate a decade or two or even more to this. This is going to become my life. So, what do I actually really like to do? And I think that's the sort of thinking that could help uh, inspire, that could help inspire you to find something that would actually be motivational for you to uh, pursue a passion that leads you to a fulfilling career and a fulfilling startup venture.
1: Awesome stuff! Awesome stuff! And that's going to wrap up our time here. On the Startup Life, Jeremy, thank you so much for your time and your energy, my man. All right. Thank you very much and have a good day. If you want to let us know what you think about our show, have an idea for a show topic, or would like to advertise on our show, send us a message on the Startup Life podcast Facebook page. And while you are there, like and follow our page as well. It's a great way for us to engage with you, Startup Nation, and really grow our community. The link is there in the show notes. Subscribe to the show as it can be heard on Apple Podcasts. And hey, if you have an idea, be about that life, the startup life.